crystallography and X-ray crystallography. These techniques gave researchers the capacity to isolate components of biological systems and to characterize them at the molecular level. This period culminated with the 1953 discovery of the structure of DNA by Watson and Crick and a firm belief that the base sequence in DNA is the carrier of the genetic information. From 1953 until the mid, late, mid to late 1960s was a time during which details of the central dogma were worked out. It involved the elucidation of the relationship between gene and protein in terms of coding, transcription, translation, and regulation. From the beginning of the 1970s on, the scope of the research broadened. Molecular biology techniques were applied to a wide range of problems in cell and developmental biology. This was paralleled by the development of a whole suite of recombinant DNA technologies. In addition to reshaping molecular genetics and almost every other field of biological inquiry, these technologies gave rise to the biotechnology industry. In the last decade, an extensive discussion on the nature of molecular biology has ensued. The focus of that discussion has been centered on the criticism that molecular biology has re represented a period of too reductionistic a view of organisms. Some even consider the age of molecular biology as, quote, having been a period of extreme misorientation of biological research, an error that is high time to repair, end of quote. In contrast to this negative view, it is ironic to note that the methods and concepts of molecular biology are being used extensively by biologists. On the one hand, there appears to be a criticism of the reductionistic nature of molecular biology as a discipline. On the other hand, its methodologies have become fully integrated into the biologist's experimental toolboxes. Right from its inception, molecular biology has suffered from an identity crisis. The initial question that arose asked how it was different from biochemistry. Reflecting on that, the editor of the European Molecular Biology Organization report wrote in, wrote in 2002, quote, in the 1950s, a new sect of biologists entered the laboratory. In an exaggerated form, they worked with the molecules of life, but aimed to integrate them into the biology from whence they came. If the biochemist stressed the inanimate chemistry in the molecules they obtained from living sources, the molecular biologists tried to put the puzzle back together by demonstrating their consequences for life, end of quote. Two defining characteristics about molecular biology stand out. One, it is a discipline or research approach that studies macromolecules stretched between the molecules studied by organic chemists and the subcellular structures barely visible under a light microscope. And two, it has an informational focus. Both of these reflect its historical roots, the latter especially since the development of molecular biology benefited greatly from the communication and computing needs generated by the Second World War. What about the accusation that molecular biology is reductionistic by nature? After a lengthy reflection on this very question, Powell and Dupre in the 2009 paper answered it as follows, quote, So far we have seen how the status of classical molecular biology in relation to a reductionistic concept is ambiguous. There is no unique or obvious sense in which its most distinctive features are captured by the philosophical traditional notions of reduction. Nonetheless, molecular biology did encourage a biological wealth anschauung that accords priority to DNA as a causal agent within the cell, 
and that encourages the belief that a detailed understanding of individual molecular properties may be sufficient to account fully for cellular and organismic phenomena, end of quote. Fueled by the success in relating crystallographic structures of biological macromolecules to their biochemical properties and physiological functions, it is not difficult to imagine a, biolo a biologist's faith in the capacity of molecular knowledge to explain biological phenomena. Relating this to the structure and role of DNA in the life of the cell, the end result is a form of genetic determinism. There are genes, and these genes are the key determining factors for biological form and function. Molecular biology began to take on a gene-centric or a genetic reductionism flavor. Such culminated the century of the gene. But why the current interest in systems perspectives on biological problems? Is it just the flavor of the month or year, or are there other issues at stake? Well, the cytoplasm struck back. In the previous presentation, my colleague Harry Cook has elaborated on some of the issues related to cellular complexity. By focusing on genes, on DNA, and proteins, molecular biology seems to have missed out on the complexity of living organisms. It is as if we have obtained a parts list of an airplane, but such a parts list is insufficient to understand the complexity of the underlying engineered object. We need to begin to learn how all the parts interact with each other to generate the various cellular organismal processes, traits, and responses we observe. Surveying the transition that is currently occurring in biology, science historians and philosophers know that the, quote, erosion in confidence in genetic determinism has been accompanied by a reduction in the willingness to pin all scientific hopes on the other, more generic aspect of molecular determinism, the idea that molecular level detail alone will necessarily deliver complete biological insight, end of quote. Why did the reductionist approach of molecular biology fail? The French historian of biology, Michel Morange, traces the conception of the gene action operative in molecular biology back to the materialistic mechanism of heredity as advocated by Hugo de Vries and August Weismann. This preformatist concept is based on a simple model of correspondence between the genotype and the phenotype. In this conception, organisms can be split into different structures and functions. Each of these is somehow pre-contained in one or a limited number of genes. But the ambitious reductionist molecular biology program of the past several decades did not confirm this preformatist vision. We now know that the various complex structures and functions of organisms are the results of the involvement of not just one or of a few genes, but of tens or hundreds of genes. We now also know that the products of these genes, mostly proteins, but not always, act via pathways and networks. This model of gene action refutes the notion of a gene for whatever you're looking at. But what will be the new conceptual model that can replace the molecular determinism-based one of molecular biology? Which conceptual model will allow biologists to integrate the large number of parts list, omics data generated by such high throughput analytical techniques as genome sequencing, microarrays, and other recent techniques into a 
comprehensive whole that will improve our understanding of cellular and organismal complexity. At the beginning of the 21st century, systems biology was put forward as the integrative model that would revolutionize our understanding of complex biological regulatory systems. In particular, the advocates for systems biology suggested that it would move biology away from a descriptive science and toward a predictive one. The goal of systems biology can be described in several ways. Some example descriptions are to model a living organism or to understand every detail and principle of biological systems linking the behaviors of molecules to system characteristics and functions. Or a third one, the overarching aim of systems biology is the ultimate goal of modern biology to obtain a fundamental, comprehensive, and systematic understanding of life. Michel Morange makes the case that the importance given to the question, what is life, is a good indicator historically of the alternation between reductionism and holism in biology. When reductionism is dominant, the question, what is life, is not asked, because life is considered to be nothing more than the various components present in organisms. When holism is dominant, biologists are considering that there is something specific about organisms that cannot be directly deduced from their components. At the beginning of the 21st century, it appears that the reductionism paradigm is in difficulty once again. Based on an analysis of the research approaches and historical roots of systems biology, two streams have been identified within systems biology, the molecular stream and the systems theoretic stream. The grand aim of molecular systems biology is to develop a material and mechanistic description of a biological system at the molecular level. This description, or model, of the molecular networks and mechanisms underlying phenotypic properties should be sufficiently accurate to allow for prediction. This dominant stream of systems biology uses an iterative cycle of wet experimental research and dry modeling strategies. This cycle involves a systematic perturbation of the living, perturbation of the living system, followed by a high, by a detailed high-throughput characterization of resulting molecular, cellular, and phenotypic changes. The modeling part of the cycle then uses the thus obtained data to create a mechanistic mathematical model of the system or to modify an existing model. And once the model has been sufficiently fine-tuned in this manner, it can provide insight into the network structure and functions underlying the dynamics of the biological system under study, and it can be used for predictive purposes. In the systems theoretic stream of systems biology, biologists try to understand living organisms as complex systems by means of abstract theoretical principles based on system theory, information science, control theory, and network topology analysis. The German systems biologist Wolkenhauer wrote, quote, the idea to use system theory in biology is not new. Notably, in the 1960s, a number of eminent researchers took a systems approach to search for general biological laws governing the behavior and evolution of living matter in a way analogous to the relation of the physical law laws and non-living matter, end of quote. 
In this systems theoretic systems biology, such as system theoretic concepts, such system theoretic concepts as multi-levelness, hierarchy, concepts of feedback, positive and negative and multi-level, and regulators, all of which are part of cybernetics and control theory, are used in a mathematical network model. But usually these are models in which the interactions among system variables are defined in an operational manner rather than a mechanistic manner. These systems theoretic models stand in sharp contrast with the more mechanistically oriented models that are developed in the molecular stream of systems biology. Thus far, the systems theoretic stream, although more successful in the 1960s, has not been able to match the predictive capabilities of the molecular stream. In the remainder of this paper, I will reflect predominantly on the dominant molecular stream in systems biology. One of the challenges for systems biology is that it is both data-rich as well as data-poor. It is data-rich in the sense that it draws on existing extensive data sets and it generates itself enormously large genomic, proteomic, transcriptomic, metabolomic, lipidomic, and other omic data sets. Hence, in terms of sheer quantity, it is data-rich. However, in terms of quality, in terms of quality, data sets might be lacking in reliability, accuracy, functional annotation, and do not distinguish between technical experimental noise and variability due to biologically stochastic events. Hence, one of the real challenges is to generate data sets that are context sensitive, rich in functional annotation, and are biologically relevant. The other challenge facing systems biology is the challenge of modeling. How does one incorporate these large omic data sets into an appropriate mathematical computational model of biological function? Systems biologists make a distinction between two types of modeling approaches, the bottom-up and the top-down method. Bottom-up modeling starts with molecular properties to construct system systemic properties followed by experimental validation and model refinement. Top-down modeling is system, systemic data-driven. It starts from the large-scale omic data sets of biological systems or subsystems to discover models that describe the measured data successfully. In this way, previously unidentified interactions, mechanisms, and molecules might be identified. In practical terms, for example, most systems biologists studying metabolic pathways, like we ourselves are at King's, use a combination of these two approaches by continually integrating bottling up biochemical information with top-down omics databases. In order to get a sense as to what systems biology will deliver, it is informative to take a look at some of the claims made by its protagonists. Here are some of the more futuristic ones. Quote, the critical issue is how DNA sequence information can be converted into knowledge of the organism and how biology can, will change as a result. We believe that a systems approach to biology is the key. The discovery of the DNA structure started us on this journey, the end of which will be the grand unification of the biological sciences in the emerging information-based view of biology. Leroy Hood. Another quote, Systems biology is expected to transform a largely descriptive biology practiced along disciplinary lines into a quantitative, predictive, interdisciplinary endeavor. End of quote. 
The claims of more interest to the topic of this paper are the claims made with respect to how systems biology distinguishes itself from molecular biology. The mainstream view on the position of systems biology vis-à-vis -vis molecular biology sees molecular biology as well as all the omic biology subdisciplines as part of systems biology. It is highly unlikely that we would have had systems biology without the development of molecular biology first. However, systems biology also sets itself up against molecular biology. Systems biologists criticize molecular biology for being a discipline that is much too narrow and as a result not able to account for the complexity of living organism. A careful examination of the validity of that criticism reveals that the difference between molecular biology and systems biology is not so much related to their specific overarching goals, but is related to the rationale and the philosophical assumptions underlying their research approaches. Systems biology goes beyond the kind of reductionism molecular biologists are alleged to practice. Philosophers of science have identified various types of reductionism. Here are some of them. Methodological reductionism refers to research strategies of studying wholes in terms of their parts and their characteristics, including the interaction and the organization of these parts. Epistemological reductionism occurs when concepts, laws, and theories at the higher level of complexity can be derived from those formulated for a lower level. And ontological reductionism states that higher level entities are constituted by the organization of simple entities, excluding metaphysical elements or vital forces. Now within ontological reductionism, we can differentiate between causal reductionism, the parts entirely determine the whole, excluding top-down causation, and reductive materialism, which claims that only the entities at the lowest level are real, and as such exclude the reality of higher level entities. With respect to the discussion on the difference between molecular biology and systems biology, the following observations can be made. A. Systems biologists talk about reductionism, but they do not always use the traditional understanding of a terminology, or, that's predominantly, there is tremendous ambiguity in their statements. For example, Kitano, a Japanese systems biologist, wrote, quote, the system is composed of molecules, and molecules follow the law of physics. However, how systems operates can only be described by a set of theories that focus on system-level behaviors. The point is that such theories must reflect the realities of biological systems and molecules without abstracting the essential aspects of biology, end of quote. In the first sentence of this quote, Kitano impl implicitly supports a form of ontological reductionism. In the subsequent sentences, he takes a stand against ep epistemological reductionism. The concept of system biology cannot be derived from those at the lower level, the physical level of the molecules in this case. B. Some systems biologists, for example, Westerhoff, from a large system biology group in the Netherlands and England, seem to lean towards an ontological reductionistic focus of the discipline, although they don't necessarily state it explicitly. For them, the model sciences are chemistry and physics, especially physics. And systems biology, according to them, must become a similarly quantifiable discipline which works with hypotheses and models based on mathematical, on a mathematical approach to life. C. Ontological reductionism in its causal reductionism form manifests itself most frequently in the molecular biology and systems biology literature. 
the question is if the characteristics and processes of the parts entirely determine the whole bottom-up causation, or must top-down causation also be taken into account? Within molecular biology, we see the former reflected in such statements as, quote, to decode the genetic information is to know the organism. In other words, here we have the genetic determinism that systems biology criticized in molecular biology, but that, as we have seen in the rise of systems biology, has now become a molecular determinism. In other words, to decode the genetic information is to know the organism has become to uncover the molecular components and their relationships is to know the organism. It remains to be seen if this molecular determinism will succeed in fully explaining a living organism as being determined from the bottom up by its parts and their interactions. For some system biologists, the answer is obvious. It's just a matter of time. And here's a quote again from the Westerhof group in the Netherlands and in England. Quote, if we can measure all the local properties of individual players in a complex system, including their interactions, we can bolt the system together, and whatever new properties may emerge will indeed emerge and produce the whole system properties that can indeed be, be compared with those of the intact system, end of quote. D. Some system biologists, especially those in the system theoretic stream, doubt that the molecular determinism will lead to understanding the organism as a whole. Molecular determinism runs against the intuition of organisms as indivisible, emergent, and complex wholes. Some feel that biological organisms must be seen from another perspective, a non-mechanistic one. Others challenge systems biologists to develop an ontology of what the concept of a system in systems biology really means. E. Both molecular biology and systems biology utilize a research approach that is methodologically reductionistic. The difference is that systems biology is, at, at least ideally, studies and models all molecules and their interactions. But as the backer and I'll clearly, clearly indicate, quote, this approach remains molecular, and for systems biology, as for molecular biology, the genetic level continues to be the most important basis for analysis and integration of data. The essential difference between molecular biology and systems biology does amount to a difference in scale and time of data integration. In light of this, it does not make much sense, nor is it very meaningful to continue to distinguish between molecular biology and systems biology. Molecular biology is essentially a component of systems biology. In summary, although some of its advocates place systems biology over against molecular biology by emphasizing the limits to its reductionistic, genetically deterministic approach, a careful analysis of the history of molecular biology and the development of systems biology does not warrant such a distinct separation between these two subdisciplines. Rather, systems biology was spawned by molecular biology in a research environment that was enriched by high throughput analytical techniques, well developed bioinformatics and modeling software, and a wide range of model organisms. Although it can be fully expected that a systems biology approach to studying organismal properties and functions will provide us with a more comprehensive description of living organisms, it will most assuredly also confront us again with questions regarding the nature of the relationships between the molecular, 
the cellular, the organismal, and other hierarchical levels of biological organization. Thank you. Question? As the systems that they try to consider get more complex, that is, have more unknowns, then the mathematical constructs would generate larger and larger matrices, which would have usually larger and larger eigenvalue uh, ranges. At some point, the smallest eigenvalues of those mathematical of those matrices might get below the quantum level and pose an insurmountable barrier to understanding the most detailed aspects of those systems. Could you comment on that? Is that a realistic proposal? Or I don't, th you know, the <clears throat> looking at systems valency, right now, all they want to focus on is the, um, the prokaryotic cell. I mean, you don't want to go much beyond that. Um, most of the research done in system, you know, what's now labeled as systems biology um, focuses on, on, on the cellular structures or maybe system aspects of uh, physiological regulation, uh, which we still see we can handle that. Um, to go larger, um, I haven't read a whole lot yet in, in this one that we can go that large. Um, I mean, there are some highly optimistic and futuristic claims that, yes, we will have, you know, an encelical human. Um, I'm extremely skeptical. Well, that's part of Jordan's paper, the whole question of emergence. Uh, you know, why you go from the individual component level to, to a higher level. Um, and some of the system biologists, to their credit, especially, again, the, uh, the Dutch-European uh, group, have, has written on that. The first book on system biology, the philosophy, was published in 2005, right after the conference in 2004. So they are asking these, these kind of questions. And we've drawn extensively from them in the emergence paper that we have next.
Well, it, if you go back to the to the first, you know, uh, manuals in molecular biology in the 1960s, they talk very much about the interaction. It is that I think in the application of it, we have just you know not focused much on it. So now the system biologists have taken that and say, hey, 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 you're very reductionistic. We are the integrating one. If you go back to the history of molecular biology, you find the integration right there. It, absolutely, absolutely. That's why I call, you know, it's kind of a natural evolution to go from molecular biology to system biology. It's a, you know, the, it's a buzzword in many ways, system biology. It's a way to get funding. funding. Our next speaker is um, Jordan Brown.